good morning. It is a, it's a great, great honor and privilege to be here with you all in worship today. I was, I've actually been to Lakeside in the past, uh, back in the old Central South days uh, under uh, Jimmy McGuire's leadership and then my friend Greg Anthony who uh, pastored here and he and I served on the Board of Benefits for our denomination together. Uh, but y'all have moved since then. I noticed that. <laughs> this, is, this is a great facility and I've, it's been great to finally get to know Tyson and uh, it's good to be with you this morning. It was, it was a, a, a cool, clear morning, kind of like this. I was pastoring in, in Warsaw, Indiana and I had a, a two o'clock flight from South Bend, Indiana uh, to Pittsburgh for a denominational meeting. That meant two things. First, it meant I had to quit on time. That's a challenge for some pastors I know. I guess we'll find out. But the second, second thing was that I, I, on this flight, I was going to have two and a half hours of uninterrupted time to read John Piper's new book. He had just written a book about reaching, reaching lost people for Christ, particularly the millennial generation, reaching people for Christ. And, and I'd bought it a couple of weeks ago, and it just sat on my desk and sat on my desk and sat on my desk and just couldn't get to it. So now, finally, I was going to have two, two and a half blessed hours of alone time, just me and John. And so I, I, I preached at our second service, got finished on time, took my robe off, put my suit jacket on, kissed my wife, and got on the road to South Bend, got there in plenty of time, I just slid into my seat on the airplane, opened my book, and as the plane was taking off, I thought, ah, life is good. Uh, there was a, a sweet little elderly lady uh, sitting next to me, and I said hi, and she said hi, and I got my book, and here I'm going to town reading, and all of a sudden, I hear this, sweet little voice. Is that a good book? Uh, well, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. It's one of my favorite authors. Oh, do you, do you read a lot of books like that? I said, well, yes, ma'am, I do. Um, can I ask you, are you a pastor? Well, here comes the evil side of me. I, I, I so badly want to say, lady, it's early afternoon on Sunday. I am flying in an airplane wearing a suit. What else would I be? But for some, God's grace was sufficient. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. Well, I've never been this close to a pastor before. Could I ask you a couple of questions? Oh, no. No, no. I mean, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you, you just want to be left alone and you don't want to really talk about anything in particular, especially like God and Jesus and those sort of things? I know I'm a, I'm a really bad person and now you know for sure. I just didn't want to do that. Well, if you're at least willing in your mind to admit that that may be you too, at least on occasion, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. 
a prophet, a prophet who I've called the, the most reluctant missionary in the world. For this, for this prophet, things were going really well for him. Then God interrupted. This prophet's name is, of course, Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom, uh, somewhere between 793 and 753 B.C., Jeroboam II was king. Some other prophets that were his contemporaries were Amos and Hosea. And, and Amos and Hosea were, were really typical prophets. And their message to Jeroboam and to all of Israel was, turn, repent from your sin and follow God. Turn or burn. You know, that's the typical message of the prophets. And, and needless to say, Amos and Hosea were not very popular among the king and his crowd. Well, Jonah took kind of a different approach. Jonah, Jonah went to Jeroboam and Jeroboam and said, you know what, Jonah, these, our land, Israel, has been shrinking. We've been, we've been taken, taken prisoner. Our borders have shrunk because of these foreign invaders. Do you think God would bless me if I would go out and wage holy war against our enemies and expand the kingdom? Jonah says, gives the right answer. Yes, king, go for it, and I believe God will bless you. And he did, and God blessed him. And so needless to say, when, when Jeroboam returns from war, he's found his good friend Jonah. And Jonah, of course, is a big man in the palace. He gets on all the A-list for all the great parties, and, and life is good. And then God breaks in and makes the most unthinkable, unreasonable request. Jonah wants you to leave the popularity, the prestige, the security, the comfort, all that you have. I want you to leave that and put yourself in harm's way. Well, that's our text for this morning. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, it's on page 774 of the the Pew Bible. It might take you a while to find this little book of about two pages. But Jonah chapter 1, it's a great, it's a great story and probably familiar to you. Would you stand with me as we read from God's holy, inerrant, inspired, life-giving word? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his gods. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought for us that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a great sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. Please be seated. So this morning, as, as we look at this text, I want to organize our thoughts around the, the use of the word great. Use of the word great. First, we see a great city. In verse 2, God says, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now, Nineveh truly was a great city, if not perhaps even the greatest city in the world at that time. It was a royal city, probably the capital of Assyria, and at that time Assyria was the most powerful nation in the world. It's located in what is today Mosul, Iraq, probably about 300, 300 square miles, roughly the size of Charlotte, a little bit bigger than Jackson, a little smaller than Houston, where I come from. But it, it was a great city, size-wise. It was a city protected by a wall that was 100 feet tall and three chariots wide. Now, you NASCAR guys thinking about the Daytona 500, think about that. Three chariots wide. This is a wide wall. And, and there were scattered around this wall 1,500 towers, each of which went another 200 feet in the air so that the watchmen could keep watch and could guard, guard the city. It was a great city in terms of size and political importance. It was also a great city in terms of military might. The main gods of Nineveh were the god of war and the god of the chase. They, they were brutal, brutal to their enemies. One of their kings, uh, Asher Nasserpol, wrote this account of one of his battles. He said, I flayed the skin from as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over a pile of corpses. 
I cut off the heads of their fighters and built with them a tower before the city. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their noses, ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one pile of the dead. I hung their heads on trees around the city. Can we maybe understand why Jonah would have been a little bit nervous about going to a place like this? Well, it was a great city, great city in terms of wickedness. It wasn't just that people were, were misguidedly sinful. They were proactively evil. They went out to do evil. And God says to Jonah, preach because, preach because it, its wickedness has come up before me. It's a great, great, wicked city. And God would have been absolutely within his right to thoroughly demolish it. But in order to display his grace, he wants to call them to repentance, to return, to call them to return from their wickedness and to follow him. And he wants Jonah to deliver that message. I ask you this morning, what, what do you think are the outer limits of God's grace? Uh, what do you think are the outer limits of God's grace? As we look at the ever-increasing wickedness, in our world, in our country, as we look at the coming darkness, just when you thought it couldn't get any bleaker, something, something happens. Someone finds a new way to do the unthinkable. Would, would we really be surprised if we heard God say to us, your wickedness has come up before me? And not only... Not only as a nation, but as, as people, as individuals. Do we, do we know people, if we're willing to be honest, do we know people that we think are truly beyond God's grace? What about our, our, our own personal sins? Those sins that we, we confess every Sunday when we come to church and then we go back to doing just what we did Someone said, uh, we come to church, we sing just as I am, we live just as we, were and we are and go out just as we were. It's, how many of us would be, be that honest? And yet we sing a great hymn, and I know y'all sing it here, to God be the glory. And in the second verse it says, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender, who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. You know, friends, a, a day of judgment is coming. You can count on that. It will come. But, but until that day, our message should be to those around us, turn, turn from, turn from your wickedness, turn from your brokenness, turn from the evil that, that lives within you. Become a child of God's. You see, see, God cared about Nineveh. He cares about us, and he cares about those around us. And the question is, do we care about them too? Jonah didn't care, and, and so he wouldn't go and do what God commanded him to do. And so God had another way of getting him where he wanted him to be, of redirecting his path. And so the second great we read about is a great wind. Jonah wouldn't go. 
In fact, he chose to go in the exact opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was not exactly a resort community on the sea. It wasn't a destination location. Tarshish was known as a smelting works. And if you know anything about smelting, it's where ore gets purified and it smelts really badly. And the skies were gray. It was not a happy place. It was not a pleasant place. That's where Jonah would rather go than to go where God wanted him to. And so, so we read it in verse 4, God hurled. And I love the use of the word there. God hurled a great wind at him. Such a violent storm that the ship threatened to, to break up. And the sailors were afraid. Now these sailors were, were not just sissy boy weekend sailors out on the lake. These were hardened professionals. They weren't afraid of nothing, as we'd say in Texas. They, they knew how to sail. And yet, they were so afraid that they did the only thing they could do. When all else fails, pray, right? So they, they called out to their gods. They, they were even willing to lose the carlo, cargo, which meant they lost money on the deal to save their lives. They just wanted to be saved. And where's Jonah while all this is happening? Jonah is below the blow deck and was, quote, fast asleep. Think about that. The world around him is perishing. In fact, Jonah himself is about to perish, and he doesn't even know it. And so the captain comes to him, and the captain says, arise. Interestingly, the same word that the captain uses here says, arise is the word God had used to Jonah. When he said, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, arise and call out to your God. We need everybody praying. We need all the help we can get. And I want to ask you, is this maybe a picture of the church today? Are we down below deck asleep while our world, our world is being tossed about, while our world is in danger of, being capsized, being destroyed. We don't, we don't really need to worry about anything else out there. We have, our, we have our little holy huddle, and we're happy and we're content in it. Is that true of us, at least sometimes? I'm afraid that, that it is true, and, and it's not that we're so worried about anything else. We're not even worried about those in our own backyard. But, but as judgmental as it sounds when I say that to you, it's also about me. It's also about me. Do you, do you know what that sweet little lady wanted to talk to me about? Do you know what was so important that I had to put away my book and listen to her? Do you know what was on her mind? The truth is that a couple of months before this, her, her son in his 20s had been deeply troubled, deeply troubled. And, and one, one evening, he got in his car on a two-lane road, started going down that road at a very high rate of speed. And when he saw an 18-wheeler coming the other way, he veered across and went smack into that truck. He was killed instantly. 
the investigating officers investigating said this was not this was not an accident this was not falling asleep at the wheel this this young man wanted to take his own life and this dear sweet lady had gone to her priest and asked him where her son was spending eternity and her priest told her that well if he took his own life that was a mortal sin and he he would not be in heaven and she she listened to a protestant minister say the same thing and what she wanted to know from me was is that really true is my son really in hell well i had one of those experiences where god took what i sometimes lovingly referred to as the two-by-four of love and just whacked me. I confess, I, I felt like such an idiot. You know, I, I had almost missed an opportunity from God to be a friend at least for a few hours to this little lady because I wanted me time. I wanted to be alone with my book. Did I mention it was a book about evangelism? Yeah. See, I, I, I wanted to reach a whole generation. I wanted to reach the whole world for Christ. I just didn't want to be bothered by this lady, this sweet little lady sitting right by me. Oh, what about you? I'm sure you're not as, as bad a person as I am, but... Have you ever allowed yourself to fall into a, a deep sleep so that you're unaware of those around you who are in a real storm in their life, who are really facing a Christless eternity and who are in some way reaching out to you, maybe in a way they don't even understand, but they're, they're looking for you. Maybe is it a person maybe at work who's in the office or the cubicle next to you or Maybe a mom or a dad in, in your kid's class or in, in their playgroup or maybe someone who sits next to you in class or maybe a neighbor next door or a spouse or, or a child, either older or younger. Have, have you been running from, from God? Have you been running from a, a, an opportunity to be Jesus to someone? Are, are, are you, are we so numb that we don't even hear God calling. Friends, it, it happened to a prophet of God. And if it can happen to a prophet of God, it can certainly happen to you and me. And if this is sounding really convicting, good. But the answer isn't to heap judgment upon yourself. The answer is, is to repent. To tell God, Thank you for opening my eyes. Help me to turn from that. Help me to see who it is that you'd want me to bump into in my life. Lead me. Forgive me for my sin. And God will do that. And God will open your eyes and put you in the right path. Next, there's great fear. When Jonah's finally faithful to God. God produces great fear in the sailors, but, it, but it's a fear that leads them to worship. 
This is a really interesting text. Some believe these, these sailors actually came to a faith in the living and true God. Others think, well, maybe, maybe not. But you see, the great wind produced a great storm, which produced great fear. But it wasn't really the storm itself that produced the greatest fear in them. It, it was how the storm subsided. See, as the storm raged, the sailors cried out to their gods. You know, when all else fails, pray. And when that fails, cast lots. You know, they're like us. Whose fault is this? Somebody is doing something wrong here. Somebody has got to pay. So the lot falls to Jonah. There's a coincidence, right? Jonah, where do you come from? Who are you? What have you done? And Jonah has to confess, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of the sea and the land. Oops. What should we do with you? Throw me into the water. Jonah is now in a position where he realizes that he's fallen into the hands of not only a storm, but of of an angry God. And finally, as a last resort, even they they don't want to do this initially, they throw Jonah overboard. And they, they must have figured that if God will send a storm against someone who is running from him, imagine what he will do to those who are aiding and abetting his conduct. So they throw Jonah into the water. And then in verse 15, we read, the storm ceased from its raging. This word ceased means it stopped immediately. It, it didn't just settle down and all that got calm over time. It stopped. It ceased. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifices to the Lord, made vows to him. They were afraid of the storm, sure, but they were even more afraid of how the storm went away. It immediately stopped. And this is the same thing that happened when Jesus was asleep in the boat with his disciples and there was a storm raging and Jesus comes out and from under, under the boat and he says, they say, Master, we're about to die in this storm. And what does Jesus do? He gets up and he says, peace, be still. And the storm instantly went away. And they looked at him and said, Whoa, who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him. See, the, these sailors had never experienced anything like this. They now believed, they at least believed the God of Jonah, whether or not they believed in the God of Jonah. But Jonah was willing to give his life for the salvation of these men. And God worked a miracle for them, and it was clear. But as we know from the rest of the story, God wasn't finished with Jonah yet. We read in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, Jonah was was not innocent, not even close. Jonah was directly rebellious against God, but, but God was gracious to Jonah. He appointed a great fish to swallow him up and to provide him a home for three days and three nights while Jonah could do some thinking. You know, I think Jonah is in what I've sometimes called the mother of all timeouts. 
But see, God, God was not finished with this reluctant missionary. And you can read the rest of the story in chapters 2, 3, and 4 this afternoon, and you'll remember it well, I'm sure. But, but what did I tell this lady on the plane who wanted to know where her son was, was spending eternity? Well, I, I said to him, man, I, I don't know where your son is today. But I believe this. There's a great big God in heaven who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And the problem is that we've all sinned against him. We've, we've done things we should not have done. We've, we've failed to do things we should have done. And we have no excuse and so God would be right in, in punishing us for our sins, but, but God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we all deserved. And Jesus lived and then he died. He was crucified, dead and buried. But God did a miracle. On, on the third day, he raised Jesus from the dead saying that all who followed him could have new life in Christ. And so if we confess our sin, our need for him, and we repent and we, we agree to follow him, then we receive from God the gift of eternal life. And that's true regardless of whatever sins we might have committed. And at this point, there's tears flowing down her face and she says and my son could have done that just before he crossed the center line couldn't he and I said yes ma'am he, he certainly could have and like then I start crying too I gave her my, my card and the names of a couple of pastor friends in her, her area that I trusted and we, we hugged and we parted company and friends, I, I want to give the same message to you today. Uh, who, is there someone in your life, like my lady friend on the plane, is there, is there someone in your path that God has put in front of you? Maybe it was last week, yesterday. Maybe it's today. Maybe it'll be sometime this week, sometime when you least expect it. God will give you what we learned yesterday uh, are called divine appointments where God has ordered the circumstances and all of a sudden you're, you're face to face with someone who's experiencing brokenness and confusion and loneliness someone who needs, needs to hear about Jesus and so I just want to ask you friends if, if you've never made that commitment to say I, I need to follow Jesus then Today would be a really great day to do that. And I'm sure Tyson or Jim or any number of people would be glad to talk more about that with you. But if, if you would do this, would you pray that God would open your eyes to someone around you and that you would see that you have a, a divine appointment with someone you didn't even expect to tell him about the greatness, the greatness of God, his love in Christ and the free gift of eternal life. I want to urge you and challenge you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, we, we confess we are sinners.
in need of a Savior. God, we, we need you. Even those of us who know you, we need you in an even greater way. Would you work in our lives? Would you put, give us divine appointments? Put us in touch with someone who needs you. Thank you for your love for us, your mercy, and your grace. We pray this through Christ. Amen.